Seed to Sound, presented by Banks, a podcast for cannabis professionals. Hey, seedlings, welcome back to another episode of Seed to Sound. This week, Alex Lang chats with Sitsa Elzinga, the CSO from The Workshop. Well, welcome back to Seed to Sound, guys. This is Alex uh, with Vangst, and I've got Sitsa Elzinga here um, from The Workshop. Sitsa, it's great to have you uh, on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so let's uh, let's just jump right in. Um, you know, so obviously, you know, you're, you're uh, I believe you're the, the CSO at, at The Workshop. Can you tell us a little bit about what you guys do there? Yeah, so we, we were the second analytical laboratory for cannabis in the U.S. I think Steep Hill was the, the only one that opened before us. And initially, we were a quality control laboratory, so we offered testing for cannabis, which is surprisingly was quite a difficult business when testing wasn't mandatory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because most people still originated from the black market, so they didn't really see the purpose. But mm. uh, we put a lot of effort into education, and, and slowly that changed. And, uh, and of course, nowadays, testing is mandatory in almost every market. So, yeah, that's that's how we started. And then slowly, as the company developed, we switched more and more to an, uh, an, an, yeah, an IP holding company, I, I guess. Um, so we develop special formulations, uh, products, and then help our clients to, uh, yeah, to manufacture these and, and, and provide that as a service to, uh, to the clients that they have. So basically contract manufacturing. Awesome, awesome. So you know, I guess how did you first get involved with, uh, with the cannabis industry? So yeah, cannabis has been a, a long, long, long road for me. Um, yeah, back when I was still living in the Netherlands, I'm, I'm Dutch, I'm originally from the Netherlands. I got my degree at, at the higher laboratory school, which is a, a pretty practical approach, a lot of bench time and learning how to use equipment. And then as I uh, finished that, I, I needed my, my professor had an, a special project that involved a plant called Artemisia annua, uh, which is a, a shrub that produces a very strong antimalarial. And uh, I, I became involved with that project, and we developed a method to isolate this compound and make standardized teas and develop a method just using a, a PC scanner and some, some thin layer chromatography plates to be accurately quantify the amount of this medicine in a, in a plant extract. Uh, and that really got me interested in medicinal plants and, and the chemistry around that. Then the, after I finished my degree, I, I wanted to go to university and uh, discovered that there was a department of natural product chemistry at the University of Leiden. Yeah, and then enrolled in that. And around the time that, that, that I finished my degree, um, like medicinal cannabis had just became a thing in the Netherlands. The, the Dutch, really? yeah, the Dutch Minister of Health called Els Barst around 2000. She uh, recognized that there are a lot of patients out there that go to the coffee shops, uh, which are this same semi-legal system that right, we have in the right. Netherlands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and she recognized that there's a lot of patients that actually use this plant for medicinal purposes, and they could not. Well, they had to get it at the coffee shops. There was no pharmaceutical-grade product available, so the quality in the shops varied. You didn't know about about the contaminants that might be present. Um, so she used her, her power as the Minister of Health to really force through uh, this medicinal marijuana program. Um, and as a result of that, uh, Bedrocan uh, became active, which is, I think, the first legal grower of cannabis worldwide. Um, and as my specialism was in natural product chemistry, and I had no idea what to do after I finished my degree, my professor sort of uh, introduced me, hooked me up with, with this laboratory, laboratory called Pharmalese, mm-hmm. and they did the quality control for all the medicinal marijuana. Oh. And then, yeah, I became responsible for that. 
So you've been doing a lot of quality control and quality testing for, for I mean, at this point, over a decade. Yeah, a lot of analytical work. Uh, yeah, mainly tweezing out this, this very complex plant because there, there are thousands of compounds present in the plant. And we still don't really know what, what the role is of every single one of them. Right, yeah, and I know you and I have talked about some of the the holy grails as far as some of these finding some of these compounds are, are are concerned, and you know what that could mean sort of for the industry as a whole. Yeah, I mean, every most people have had the experience of smoking distillate versus a wax of flour, and and the experience can be very different. And, and the distillate, which is only pure THC, um, yeah, feels kind of flat. It's kind of stimulating, and it lacks a lot of those sedative properties. So mm-hmm. this is still something that we don't know. Uh, which is intriguing. Yeah, always something to discover, which is which is just one of the things about cannabis that's awesome. So your your background, you know, heavily based in biochemistry, um, you know, in depth studies, uh, analytical studies. You know, how has that work sort of continued to shape your career as it evolves? I mean, obviously, you know, coming here to the U.S., getting involved with the workshop, you know, moving forward into the future. I mean, what what role is that playing, and sort of how is it helping to shape your your career evolution, so to speak? Well, yeah, I've been hopping, uh, hopping around a little bit. So after doing the quality control in the Netherlands uh, for the licensed medicinal marijuana that's distributed through the pharmacies, reimbursed by health insurance, for quality control, we got a 100-gram sample, which is an insane amount. So we grind that up, use a couple grams for anal- analysis, and we had all this extra material lying around that we could legally do with whatever we wanted. So then we developed a method to isolate THC from the cannabis, make it 99% pure, and they got that registered as an active pharmaceutical ingredient in the Netherlands. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, so that's basically an FDA-style type product. Right. And then a spin-off company formed Echo Pharmaceuticals, where we developed a, a product which was basically a tablet uh, called Namisol. And that is, I think, still in clinical phase three trials. But as a ca- scientist with an interest in biology and chemistry, yeah. Um, yeah, I was kind of done with making pills and powders and wanted to be in touch with the plant more. Mm. And an opportunity uh, arose to move to the U.S. and do something with cannabis there. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, by accident, I sort of ended up baking brownies for a little while. (laughs) Um, But then I met Jeff Raber from the workshop, and, um, yeah, and I've been part of the workshop ever since, which has been a very interesting ride. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so, you know, there's there's one thing that we ask a lot of uh, our guests here, um, and, and it's a specific question that I think that you can really weigh in on and, and provide a really cool perspective on where, where – so people have all of these sort of misconceptions about the cannabis industry and, and that it's, you know, full of just, you know, stoners and, and you know, there's no real, um, you know, science or product development or anything like that going on. It's just a bunch of people who like to get high and, and want to make money off of it. And, I mean, you, you really don't fit that mold. I mean, I mean, you, you, you've got this really, you know, um, uh, strong and, and, and deep sort of background and, and education in, in science. So, I mean, can, is there any anything that you would like to sort of dispel as a myth about the industry? Well, I, I think, yeah, I think you're right. You've, with the industry maturing, you'll see more and more professionals step into this industry. And I think it is a really interesting industry because it has been underground and hidden and not accessible for for millennia almost Mm -hmm. Uh, so there's all this stuff waiting to be discovered and there's so much opportunity Um, so that makes it really interesting to me as a scientist it's just unexplored right Right. Awesome. So a um, bit of a, of, a, of a different sort of a question here so if, if you had to switch careers for one year what would you what would you want to do 
I yeah, it's totally unrelated, but I love woodworking. <laughs> I yeah, that's just awesome. my passion. I, awesome. I love that stuff. Yeah, awesome. Well, hey, uh, we'll we'll have to get together and and build some build some cabinets or something pretty soon. <laughs> so uh, you know, I, I know that you and I have talked about some of these challenges, but like, what can you talk about some of the different challenges you faced? Uh, you know, in terms of getting into and then sort of coming up into the cannabis industry. Well, as we d- discussed earlier, for me, it all went pretty organically. So for me, that wasn't that big of a challenge. But yeah, coming to the U.S. and and meeting a person that that was that ran a dispensary, and presenting himself to be you know a top of the line businessman, and then turning out to be just a black market guy slinging mm-hmm. weed, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was an interesting experience for sure, and very challenging. Yeah. And and it's still, uh, yeah, as the industry is maturing, I think we finally reached a, a, a point where it's almost like any other job. Mm. Uh, it's not there completely yet, but the really big challenges and also the stigma seems to slowly, uh, yeah, disappear. Oh, you, I, I totally agree with you on that. And, and, you know, I think that the more, as you said, the more high-level people, you know, like yourself who get involved, I mean, the more legitimate the industry becomes, right? And, yeah, and that's and, where we're going. And I think it's it will be interesting to see what will happen in the next couple of years as this becomes legal and, and, and yeah, big hedge, hedge fund firms and, and guys like that step in. Um, I, I really hope that it doesn't result in, in a monopoly and, and a collapsed system where there's only one big Starbucks that dominates the whole weed world. Mm. Um, I, I agree with you there, Yeah, too. it would be nice to see that the people that started this whole movement, the people that built it, that took the risks back in the days, that they do get a reward of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. Well, so, you know, you, um, I want to give you a little bit of a, a platform here um, to talk a little bit more about, you know, some of the work that you do and have done specifically. So you've, you've published, um, you know, you're a published author, you've published scholarly articles on, on you know, dabbing and, and you know, extraction and, and a couple of different things. And, you know, I'd love to get the inspiration behind publishing those articles and, and sort of, uh, again, give you a little bit of a platform to just sort of elaborate on, on your work a little bit. Yeah. So one of the papers we published was the i think it's the first paper the real scientific paper on dabs so we, we investigated the concentrate market in california and looked at the the levels of contamination and and uh and what actually gets delivered when you when you smoke a joint with cannabis press uh, with pesticides present or when you do a dab how much thc do you actually inhale because no one knows these things because right. it hasn't been studied right um and for example our uh, pesticide paper um, we had labs around us. We made the investment at one point to we bought this piece of equipment to be able to test for pesticides, and it's it's that's a significant investment. That sort of equipment isn't cheap, and uh, and we really wanted to give patients the the best, safest medicine. And then we had another lab that just tells everyone, oh, you don't need to test for pesticides because they. They burn, they get destroyed while you smoke a joint. And that <laughs> seemed a little weird to me because there's also THC present and the THC doesn't get destroyed because they're clearly yeah. getting high. Well, it's like, oh, you can burn, it's just burn the styrofoam. It's, you know, it's yeah. burning. It's fine. It's no big deal. <laughs> yeah. So that seemed really weird to us. Um, so, yeah, we made it the point to prove, hey, yeah, if these things are present, you are actually volatilizing them and inhaling them. Right. Um, so that was one of the first papers that we uh, we published, and that got a lot of attention because there was no framework to reference to from a legislative perspective. So that helped a lot of uh, lawmakers form their policies. Um, and, and for me, that's been really important because, you know, we, after all these years of, of this plan being illegal, we finally get access. And what if in, in 20 years, all of a sudden, all the cannabis users get cancer? 
or something like that. I want to make sure that we don't have the same thing happen as with, with cigarettes and tobacco and then start blaming the cannabis where it might have actually been pesticides or other contaminants that were present on the plant material. Yeah. So if we're going to do this large-scale experiment where we expose the population to cannabis, let's make sure that what they are getting is really cannabis and only cannabis. That is that is amazing. I mean, that's I'm so on board with that for so many reasons. I mean, as a cannabis user and obviously also as somebody who you know has a, uh, a vested interest in the success long-term of this industry, I mean, I that that whole what you just laid out from a philosophical and and just a, a, an operational sort of standpoint, it makes just so much sense. Um, so, did you actually get to? Did you have uh, I guess lawmakers that were calling you guys to to consult with you after these papers came out? Yes, yes. We we uh, we as the workshop. Uh, me not personally, but as the workshop, we are very uh, actively involved in shaping regulation. And our CEO Jeff Raber. Has uh, has spoken in front of the Senate in Pennsylvania and, and things like that. We're we're definitely making an effort to educate, uh, yeah, the public and especially the lawmakers. Um, yeah, at, we have a couple contract manufacturing sites that we partnered with, and um, it, it's not infrequent that we walk through lawmakers and show them, hey, this is what it looks like, because a lot of them just really don't know and and have this this yeah there's still this black market idea about it where it can truly be run like more a pharmaceutical production facility and and yeah mm-hmm. that's amazing one other one other thing that i was going to want to bring up is so so you know i i know that i speak to a lot of folks with similar backgrounds to you in terms of of science and and you know chemists people who want to to join the industry you know whether that's maybe from the pharmaceutical industry or um you know even just a, a product development sort of space within some other sort of consumer product goods space um you know do you have any advice for people like that you know who have similar backgrounds to you that are trying to get into the cannabis industry you know where to start sort of what to look for well i i could tell you that we've hired a lot of people that have been very insistent by email and just check in every month and just keep emailing us and yeah once a position opens up then then those are typically the people we go to first because that drive is very important especially in the startup environment you need to have driven people that want to do things themselves mm-hmm. yeah so having that having the the persistence and and you know the like you said the drive yeah Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, so I mean, it, it, anything else that you you know you want to sort of throw out there? I mean, this is definitely your time to you know throw a plug out. Um, you know, make a make a you know make make your your voice heard and and you know take the platform, take the floor here. Well, yeah, I, I hope that everyone just keeps researching and let's let's the more knowledge we gather, the more we can show that this is a relatively safe product, uh, and it will help the, the whole movement. So yeah. I, Keep researching. Keep publishing. Awesome. Well, uh, again, Cesar, thank you so much for for joining us, and um, you know, it's it's really great to be able to. You know, I know that you and I talk, you know, outside of this booth, but it's great to be able to bring you out here and and you know have you as a guest on the podcast to you know allow you to sort of again take the floor and, and use it as a platform to you know talk about uh, your you know amazing life. You've got a great background, and, and it's just it's it's really interesting. So you know, thank you so much for coming in and sharing some stories with us, and um, you know. Again, uh, doing what you do for the industry. Yeah, thanks for having me. Seed to Sound, presented by Vangst, a podcast for cannabis professionals. Produced by Hannah Holmgren and Catherine Jamiro. Music by Tyson Weigel. For more information, visit www.blog.vangst.com. Thanks for listening to today's show. 
To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Cannabis Health Radio is a podcast about stories from people around the world who have used cannabis to deal with serious ailments, many of them life-threatening. My name is Ian Jessup. My co-host, Corey Yelland, is no stranger to the devastating emotional impact faced by so many people receiving a death sentence diagnosis from a doctor. Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, she would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer, such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode.